0: You're listening to Live Wild Radio, the part-time adventure podcast.
1: Join us as we explore how outdoor adventures build mind, body, and spirit. Hey guys, how you doing? Pretty good. Really good. <laughs> so welcome to Live Wild Radio, and today we're going to be—we uh, have our guest Alison Godette. Hi, Allison. Hi. Nice to have you here. And Allison's actually my physiotherapist. Um, She is with the Grand River Sports Medicine Clinic. And Mm -hmm. in fact, I've been with them for quite a while. A lot of you know that I have uh, stage four osteoarthritis in my knees and I've been dealing with the past two years to lose weight, uh, increase my strength. I've have orthotics, braces. I've even done stem cell therapy eight months ago. Okay. Yep.
0: She, whoever, whoever at Grand River um, is saving up for a boat, Catherine's paying for it. <laughs>
1: Exactly, <laughs> and more recently, I just announced being on the keto diet for two months, and I have noticed significant gains with all of those. But I think what's really important here is the bit about um, injury prevention, and that's why Allison's on here today, and she's fantastic. Um, so before I give away too much, Allison, tell us tell us what you do do, okay. and um, to you set this record. You, you straight. said do do. <laughs> I, I did have a few drinks tonight.
0: Yep. <laughs>
2: Um, so I'm a physiotherapist at Grand River Sports Medicine Center. I have been there almost two months or two years. I've been back to Ontario. Um, before that I was in Alberta, uh, and did essentially sports physiotherapy there. So it's all orthopedic MSK stuff. Okay. We really focus on, um, sport, injury rehab, sport performance, activity, kind of training the full athlete. And athletes being from like our high level performance athletes nationally ranked and everyone where I have, you know, 79 year olds, guys who come in who are downhill skiing, you know, so our Mm, our athletes range just from active individuals to all the way up into professional athletes kind of thing. So we work all alongside just keeping everybody active, keeping everyone in sport.
1: I love that because it's not just for the athletes that are doing it full time professionally, but uh, as long as you've got health coverage, then which everybody does here in Canada.
2: Yeah, We're
1: very lucky with that. We can go and visit you guys and, and get the second opinion because that's exactly what happened to me. My surgeon told me not to strength train, not to hike, not to squat, not to do a lot of things that um, I found quite beneficial, really. I hate that. I,
2: I really do hate that, and I'm not supposed to use that word unless I really mean it, but it's true. It's, it's one of those things that frustrates me so much because activity is – What heals us, we just have to modify it. But to not do anything is probably the worst like most detrimental thing, mm-hmm. our, our bodies were never meant to be sedentary. We were never meant to sit behind a desk for eight hours a day. We oh, were totally. hunters and gatherers, gatherers and foragers. And that's what our bodies were always meant to do. And so to say, don't do anything, it just means change how you're doing or to maybe strengthen differently mm-hmm. from what you are. Maybe we don't have a baseline strength, but there's always something we can do.
1: And I think I took that seriously because um, both of my, well, my mother in particular is about 74 and seeing mm. her, You know, go through um, you know aging. Mm -hmm. Um, She's lost a lot of mobility, and if you don't use it, you absolutely will lose it. Yeah. Um, I've seen people in the hospital because of cancer treatments, but even just lying in that bed for a month or two is enough to lose that muscle mass. And and so I think that really shocked me into taking care of myself. And and so, anyways, that's why we're really excited to have you today. I know that in the past, I thought this was interesting. You worked with some of the military. I did. I did. Yeah, talk about that. I
2: was very fortunate, uh, actually, as a student. So I uh, went out to Alberta and did my first physio degree out there. Um, and my last placement was um, at the military base. And it was in, I think, 2008. Um, and I got to work there. But then a few years later after that, I was a full-time, I got offered a full-time position as a civilian physio on the military base. And it was something so special. Um, so fortunate to work with incredible human beings as my colleagues and then our, our serving members. So they were wonderful. Just such amazing Experiences and injuries like you've never seen and, and just opportunities that these these incredible human beings it was, it was an absolute privilege and got my eyes opened a lot.
0: Mm-hmm. Now that that actually gets me interested in something because a short of like the, the going around and shooting people part um, a lot of what the military does mm-hmm. um, is what we do right. They hike long distances with weight on their back. Absolutely. Um And my guess, if, you know, if if I'm not mistaken, you probably run into a lot of overuse injuries because they're carting around. Like, you know, in backpacking, we always talk about, you know, really focus on get the weight of your gear down. Well, if you're in the military, you got what you got, right? Everything's overbuilt so it doesn't break. yeah. Right. And they're carrying guns and bulletproof vests and helmets and, you know, all this kind of shit. So it's not unusual for somebody to be humping around 70 pounds on their back.
2: They are they are humping 80 to 120 pounds oh on my God. some of their like extreme expeditions where they are out there for days on end. And some of the training is such that they are sleepless for days on end. Or they may allow them 90 minutes of sleep and then wake them up and then have to go into these extreme conditions. And so some of the injuries are extravagant and substantial and they're so sleep deprived, but yet they're carrying these weights. And so I've learned so much by my biomechanics or my lifting strategies or my fitting strategies, because these guys have to be in like, you have to maximize every potential you have possible um because you don't have a choice they do have to carry 120 pounds on their back and some of them might be a buck 20 a buck 40 because some of our like special service guys where we where we need them to be in smaller situations or some of our guys that are coming out of the the planes can't be 220 pounds or 240 pounds we need them to be small operators they have to still be able to carry the same amount of gear they Mm -hmm. don't get to carry less gear because Hmm. they weigh less you know so we have to kind of Finesse their physicality and their performance, essentially.
0: Yeah, and that's actually one of the fascinating things about, uh, you know, everybody thinks, you know, because everybody's watching movies, it's always some giant jacked dude. Mm-mm. The more special forces-y you get, mm-hmm. this generally the more they start looking like...
1: Civilians?
0: No, no, like endurance athletes.
2: They're oh, okay. stealth-like. They're, They're like little bulldogs are little pit bulls they're little they like, just can move on and dime but they they're but they're ripped but they just can their explosiveness and their training is something so special
0: you know and then it, because so many of the things are there's bits of of having to be you know fast mm-hmm. with long sessions of just humping for days to mm-hmm. get there um you know, like especially anybody that served in Afghanistan, uh, if you're out on patrol, you're in the fucking mountains, yeah. right? It's rough, gnarly terrain. You're at high altitude. And you're, you know, unlike any mountaineer who would, you know, have all high-end gear and it's lightweight and you're, you know, maximizing, uh, you know, or minimizing the weight you're carrying, they, they again, still just have the, the uh, whatever there is. You know, if you're sort of a special forcesy kind of guy, then you, you get a little bit more mm-hmm. leeway in what gear you get to pick. Mm-hmm. You know, they're the ones with the camouflage Arc'teryx gear. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the Arc'teryx Leaf line, law enforcement, and armed forces. Uh, when I first saw, they did a thing called Leaf. It's like, oh, that's kind of And then I looked into what it is. It's like, oh, they're doing like, you know, camo Gore-Tex. <laughs> um, see it is a, it's a kind of a fascinating thing because they, they need to have the performance of an elite athlete mm-hmm. then with this whole other skill set
2: they call them tactical athletes yeah and so and that's truly how they train it's their job to be athletes but just in such a different facet mentally and physically right mm. like so not saying mental like athletes don't have that mental mental aspect but it doesn't have to be 24 hours a day for eight months straight right so if their tour is eight months long sometimes they're out like beyond the wire for that you know a long stretch of that they gotta be on that whole time and then still uh, like performing with that much weight on or whatever they're they're doing
0: so with with that type of thing because Mm -hmm. how do you sort of see like a change in the way because it used to be they would just run everybody into the ground yeah um now is that changing where now you know with a focus on like you know training but also a focus on recovery like what we know in any other sports science avenue uh, is that changing in the military?
2: It's fantastic how much it is changing, and that's what's mm. so exciting. So you'll get... I would have some senior officers or see some senior um, non-commissioned members um, come in and say when they were first, you know, young privates or young training, they would have their, their senior officers up in front smoking while they're running in their combat boots with their, their rucksacks on. Now they know they will never in the desert. They will never on exercise actually run with their packs on. It's just not a thing that actually happens. So why are we training that way? So their training has changed substantially. They don't let them run in combat boots anymore because we know how many injuries happen Hmm. with that. Um, They are putting a huge emphasis on um, performance and they're putting a huge emphasis on sleep and nutrition and just kind of holistic approach. It's any national institute so it's a little bit slower changing over time and there is the gentleman's club of well we always did it this way so we have to do it this way but kind of the newer age coming up is really changing a huge emphasis they're not going on 10k and 15k and 20k runs anymore because that's not realistic that's not that's not combat that's not when when they're when it's troops in combat that's not what's happening um they need the the explosiveness. So they are doing kind of tr- CrossFit type at, um, workouts because that actually transfers more into the skill set that they need. And that's a huge change because they would just run them. They used to go yeah. for like 100K rucks, 50K rucks, one of their, their – even their exercise performance testing that they have to do year after year has changed. From when it was in 2008, they were doing these sit up and push up tests, and then they had to go for um, this long kind of rucksack march under a certain time and do a body weight carry. Now they're doing a different force test where they have to do sandbag carries and then they have to do different. Um, performance measures that actually matches more of their physical demands and then there's different statuses that they have to reach kind of thing mm-hmm. like different levels that they can get to so they can get platinum status and then there's only a few like on the on the military base in Edmonton where there was two infantry units there's only a few guys that actually reach platinum status so it's actually something that they h- hang their hat on that they get really mm-hmm. excited about when they match but it was never like that that's only changed in the last few years.
0: When, when you When you have something like that, that then you get to shit talk everybody else absolutely <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: so it yeah. sounds like it's very much sports specific training yeah they're getting which better at I'm it i'm hearing more and more is the same as what we should be doing as well mm-hmm. so um before we dive into that can you tell us how, how did you get into this what, what is this that what a part of, the, of what you do is what you love, <sighs> do you love? it's kind of funny because when you say oh, how did you
2: get into this it's just kind of what i do and that's the exciting part it's just it's not independent it's not one thing on its own it's just kind of how I how I like to do my world but mm-hmm. then transfer it into physio as my every day and and people will always say well you you know you get to wake up and you know you get paid for your job and I'm like well I just feel like I'm in a big playground because it's just it's how I've always lived my life is just exercise and and or health promotion and trying to be active and physically fit. And then I kind of found a world that I get to do that every day. And then I get to teach people how to do that every day and trying to kind of integrate it into their world. And so instead of making it something separate and, and, different it's just kind of been my goal is to make sure it's just integrated into the life and it's a lifestyle um and that's always been my lifestyle like from high school is kind of when I decided I'm gonna do sports medicine and my guidance counselor said well you can't do sports medicine like what does sports medicine mean like you have to be a doctor or you have to do this I'm like well fine I'm gonna be a physio and he actually told me he was like well actually you should uh probably go into something else because it's hard to get into physio so because he said that, I was like, (laughs) I will show you and I will get into physio. (laughs) So I had no contingency plan. I had no backup plan. I was like, I will show him. And um, I also, when I was 17 years old, decided I was going to move out to Alberta to do my um, physio training for no other reason than I wanted to be in the mountains. And I heard they had a good sports medicine program. And that's why I ended up out there and ended up falling in love with Alberta and the mountains and stayed there for 11 years. So... Had some fantastic clinics out there, Uh, a really big sports medicine community in the like knee injury prevention. We had lots of knees and shoulders, and they are world-class and had kind of submerged their world into the soccer kind of community, and we had some really strong relationships, and some of the orthopedic surgeons and the soccer coaches really trusted us with their athletes, and we were really privileged to work with some pretty uh, pretty cool people. And I had an incredible team out there that kind of pushed my limits and my knowledge base and we kind of all grew together. And then the military base was just something so special. And yeah, then it brought me back home cause my family's here. So then Thank I came you. back to Kitchener Waterloo area.
1: Yeah. And mm-hmm. so you're, you're into the outdoors as well, a
2: little bit. Absolutely. I, uh, didn't, I didn't know too much. I, I mean, I did, girl guides and and did little things here but it wasn't until i moved out to alberta that my world opened up to the outdoors and my community there was just i had some fantastic friends and just a brilliant network that just kind of introduced me to riding and to hiking and i'm from ontario so our mountains aren't huge out here um for skiing and snowboarding so it was nothing that i was super excited about in the winter time um i did a lot of like snowshoeing and and cross-country skiing but the mountains in the summer was just where I loved to be and we did so many little backcountry and front country treks and yeah that's where I love to be
0: well and that's one of the things you can't live you know or spend time in the mountains Mm -hmm. without having to get in shape Mm -hmm. right because anywhere you go you're like out of breath right everywhere is either up or down (laughs) (laughs) you know So unless you just want to go be a spectator, like you drive in and then uh, you go to each of the little roadside like viewing platforms. Take
2: your pictures. And- you know,
0: like unless that's what you're doing, yeah. you better get your ass in shape or you're going to be miserable.
2: <laughs> that's a thing. And, but the thing. But the neat part is the, the scenery and, and how stunningly beautiful it is and how active everyone else is you kind of just get in shape by accident because you don't want to not do it with people. And so I didn't realize how, like even looking at back at some of my picture books, like I didn't realize how like cut certain people were because we just always were out doing things, whether it was we were hiking or we were throwing like boats in the water and going out kayaking or canoeing. It was just always something. It's just our life. Like it's just what you did out Mm -hmm. there. It was wonderful.
0: Yeah. So, so, Bring it back to sort of our listeners, because you know we tend to be you know with a part time adventure podcast mm-hmm. uh, and the idea is trying to sort of open up the world of adventure to not the pros Absolutely. not not the not the van life people that are living in mountain towns already <laughs> <laughs> um but but just the average people who because I think, and this is sort of the, the the gist of what we do, but like people who are exposed to those adventures, whether mm-hmm. you know it's backpacking and canoeing and climbing and hiking and mountain biking and you know whatever your adventure is, um, it makes your life better. Yeah. Right. So, uh, what we're what we're looking at is the idea of how do we then on the physical side because you know, we're always talking about how to do things Mm -hmm. um, and sort of the why and the philosophy and what you get out of it and Mm -hmm. how it makes your life better. But from a physical standpoint, like, you know, what would you say are like the key things um, that people should be focusing on um, to enjoy their things better, reduce the chance of injuries? uh,
2: So it's really interesting because when I was um, so submerged in um, so knee injury prevention and our so there's a major ligament in the knee and it it causes 80% of our knee joint stability so when when athletes lose that stability Um, that's that's a huge part that will take them out of sport. And so there's all this research that came out in kind of 2012, 2013, where they worked on the knee injury prevention programs to say, you know what, let's keep athletes in sport. Mm -hmm. When we started delving into that and really getting into that with our athletes, we go out to the teams and teach them. It was really cool because that research, as much as it was focused on 14 to 19-year-old girls, it translated over into everything. And so if we could teach those principles on movement mechanics and how to teach people how to move correctly and move better, move efficiently, move stronger, it actually allowed them to do things more um, throughout their day. And then they were less injured throughout the day, which took them into their weekend, which then if we taught them how to work through their weekend of hiking and biking or whatever they decided they're camping, those movement principles just translated right over into things. And so they were able to do life and just use the movement principles. So our in- knee injury prevention and, uh, and the, the fitness strategies and the strength training strategies allowed them to then, we could carry those principles not just from soccer, but into hikers, into our climbers where they we just taught them how to move. So the, the strength training principles of our core and our base strength through our hips and our movement strategies where we taught – taught our athletes how to move with their knees carried over into the hiking mechanics or mm-hmm,
1: the, the mm-hmm. biking mechanics or the, yeah. the everything so listen um you we recently you did a body scan I did. On me. and I thought that was the coolest thing ever and I thought it was a way of telling me what I don't know about my body mm-hmm. so can you explain um what that is mm-hmm. in, in detail and why people should consider it So it came out of
2: principles that came from when my work with the military base and one of um, the senior officers was doing his master's program. And his base philosophy was we put so much, you know, preventative stuff into our tanks and we have these 13-page documents with, you know, what is going to break down eventually and what's not going to break down. And we go through that with our tanks, but we don't invest in our most... um, our our biggest assets, which are our soldiers. And so we want to go through these these fitness evaluations to do the exact same thing. So you'll take your car through a maintenance thing and say, okay, well, let's let's take it through everything. Well, let's take our soldiers through the exact same thing. And so that's what the body scan was for you is I took his principles and essentially used a lot of his testing and said, okay, let's look at how your upper body moves. Let's ho- look at how your lower body moves. Let's look at how your trunk moves. And now let's look at the strength components of your upper body and your lower body. Let's compare left to right. Because a lot of principles and a lot of strength training, we do two-legged and we need a baseline strength, but sport is one-legged. You're not climbing on a wall on Mm -hmm. two legs, Mm -hmm. you're climbing one and then the other. You're not hiking up a hill on two legs, you're not hopping up, you need one leg and then the other. Well, if one is deficient and you're relying so much on the other, is one going to overtake all the stress and then the other one comes along or is the other one more predisposed, you have less stability? But until you actually push it to endurance limits or push it to different like um, lengths that you're going to reach to or strengths that you're going to reach, you're not going to ever pick it out. And so we went through this 24-stage Testing to see what your left and right looks okay. like, what your upper and lower looks like, and what your trunk looks like. So this
1: is a perfect time to say, I know that myself. My mm-hmm. right leg's got osteoarthritis stage four, mm-hmm. stage two in the left. Mm-hmm. I'm slightly uh, got. A, I had an impingement in my left shoulder. Mm-hmm. That's what I know about my body. Yeah, that's me. Can you re- recall or t- take a look at my report and because we've got the results right here and just share with the listeners, what else do you see? So your. By the way, we can um, take the time for you to actually look at it. No, and it I did. Yeah, I did. But then just because I'm curious, because I'm curious to see what I didn't know. Mm-hmm. So your left side,
2: especially because we. The arms are not independent of the legs. The arms are not independent of the core. So we need, so if you're going up on the wall and you need to reach with your left arm, you still need to engage lats. You still need to engage Mm -hmm. that side body core. And so when on one of the testing, I asked you to hold your whole body weight on your left side and reach as far as you can with your right arm. Mm -hmm. Your left side was substantially weaker. Mm -hmm. And so it matches that your left um, shoulder was bothering you more mm-hmm. because you were unable to hold your b- support your body weight and reach. So then, let's say you're up on the wall and your left shoulder isn't holding you well, you may not have as far as a w- a reach on your right side when you're trying to do that thing mm-hmm. or when you're trying to reach for a certain hold um, your left core when we did a side plank hold so we know that side to side difference if there's more than a 70 or if there's a side to side difference and you can't hold a side plank for more than 70 seconds mm-hmm. it's associated with low back injury or low back pain mm-hmm. well you couldn't hold close to a 70 second hold on that left side and it was substantially less than your right side mm-hmm. so again that's matching that whole left-sided issue with it now we know your right side has more arthritis in it Mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily just because it's documented on imaging doesn't necessarily translate to function okay um we we have patients who come in with Awful, awful X-rays, and yet they're not even close to painful or just like a one on ten, two on ten. Right. So you may move better on your right side. Your whole right core side may be stabilizing and moving a little bit better. Mm. And there's just so many different reasons That's that odd. the arthritis okay. can I be. I would have
1: thought that my right side was weaker than my left. At uh, one point, it, my legs were anyway.
2: Yeah, and so your right side, your right and left, when you stood on them, were actually <laughs> fairly uh, symmetrical, except when we reached. You were standing on your right hand side and you reached behind to the left mm-hmm. like behind that right side with your left leg that was the only one and it wasn't anything substantial um, but it was more your left-sided weakness which then you may be overdoing things on your right to try and protect or, or move differently around that right side. So that that's just kind of some of those indications that have come out. Um, your lumbar spine and your mobility, like your flexibility, is there okay. on, in your body. You just
1: don't have the strength to control it. So okay. there's so a, the strength is the biggest issue. Your strength
2: is huge on, on you. It's not necessarily that you can't move there. You passively could move there. I could move you there. Yeah. You can't control there or get there yourself. Okay. And that's a difference. So that's where that's where a lot of our sport deficits comments people will go to yoga or do all this stretching which is fantastic but we need to strengthen in those ranges and that's what gets us into our functional kind of training or sport specific training is we need to be able to train in the ranges that you need to get to okay so what
1: you saw is is what you expected
2: um it matched your story gotcha absolutely
1: okay yeah. So that's kind of surprised me because I would have thought if anything was to be weaker, it would have been my right side mm-hmm. considering all the injuries I have. Yeah. A lot of my times ankle, my legs, the my other,
2: the injury side or the painful side isn't necessarily the deficit that we find. Hmm. We find that the left doesn't move as well or isn't as controlled as well. And so the other side may have to move more, may have to take up more, be in awkward positions yeah. because you can't do it on the, on the one side. Okay. Mm. Mm-hmm.
1: Interesting.
0: Yeah, and I guess when we're talking imbalances, then you know one of the one of the takeaways, I guess, uh that that people at home can, you know, run with themselves is squat, deadlift, bench press, those things they're all great exercises Absolutely. if done properly. Yeah. But you need unilateral work
2: huge right
0: like basically one arm one leg you know so whether it, whether say on the lower body it's a uh, you know one-legged Romanian deadlift mm-hmm. right because mm-hmm. your your hips have to brace and stabilize yeah, yeah. you know it's just on one foot Um, one-legged box squat Bulgarian split squats yeah, those are
1: hard yeah
0: yeah like you know uh and then if we want to take and get sort of that cross-linking through the core um you know, one-handed carries. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, so if you do like a, whether it's a waiter's lunge or a waiter's walk, like just like a waiter would hold a tray over their head, hold a weight in one hand. Mm-hmm. And now whether you walk with it or you lunge with it, mm-hmm. you know, or something, you know, basically where now your body has to stabilize. Um It's the same thing. Like the, the QL, like the muscle over your uh, kidneys, essentially. Yeah. Uh, If you do a one-handed farmer's walk, it engages. Where if you have even weight in each hand, it doesn't have to stabilize, so it doesn't engage.
2: It doesn't. And when you're in variable situations like hiking, like climbing, where you need those variables, like those Mm -hmm. muscles to come on, you need to train that way. I'm not saying, like, you'll see some crazy functional exercises where people are on one leg on a BOSU ball throwing things. That's not it. That's not what we mean, but, like... What we know is, so let's say I'm getting someone back to running okay. and their running is they, they kind of tell us that you should be able to single leg squat, um, with half your body weight on a bar controlled in order to be able to run. Like that's kind of the demand. So you should be able to squat one and a half times your body weight essentially. So a body weight squat plus half your weight should be, you should, then I'm allowed to progress you to run. Well, think about kind of even just, I will s- take someone to that and then, add that because through hiking or or climbing different adventure sports you need to do that over a long haul period of time right so I need you not to just be able to body weight squat or do a few things with um, body weight but I I need you to have load unilaterally asymmetrically on the same side on the opposite side because that's what happens when you step on a route can you control control some of our knee injury prevention stuff we were always like oh don't let that knee go in and drop in and come well that might happen right you might step on a boulder and then your knee drop in you have the strength to pull yourself out, right? That's where a lot of times I'm not training people to drop their knee in and pull it out, but they sure as heck better have the control to do that because that's where those injuries happen. Mm. It's, it's in those unpredictable situations that you have to take them in like the, the one arm overhead or the one arm out to the side or forward or what have you.
1: Mm -hmm. So when you gave me the exercises, um, to address those issues, um, was that for backpacking my Was that for rock climbing? Or was that just to get those pieces back to normal? Like, I mean, I'm just wondering what are the sport specific ones that I should focus on?
2: I don't think I had, you know, this one is for backpacking. This one is for climbing in mind as much as I want you to clean up this side. Gotcha. I want you to clean up this left side because it's going to transfer into both sport. Yep. Um, I want you to fix your right-sided arm core movements, I want you to fix your left-sided leg core movement together. Like we'll call that lumbo-pelvic control. So lumbar pelvic leg control kind mm-hmm. of, you know, your foot bones connected to your head bone. Like everything is a kinetic yeah. chain. So your foot, the knees, the dumb joint, it does whatever the foot and the hip tell it to do. Mm. So the knee will go if the foot's not in a good position or the hip's not in a good position, the knee takes it. So we have to make sure the core is in a good position because if your body's in a trunk lean, the knee might drive in just to try and offset, to try and get gravity in a certain position. Like Mm -hmm. we need to really be in a good position. And so training everything is just trying to make left and right equal each other is kind of where my goal was for your programming.
1: Cool. Are knees a big, uh, issue for backpackers? Huge. huge. So, so what are the things, um, I know what I did, but I'm curious from your perspective, cause I've been working with others as well. Mm-hmm. What should they be working on? So it's, again,
2: it's more the mechanics of, of, for the knees because if they have foot issues, if they have hip issues, the knee kind of, kind of takes the, the, the brunt of everything. Um, so you really want to make sure the hips are strong, the ankles are strong. And if they're not, using other devices like the orthotics might be something kind of we try and just do interim until we get into the, the strong mechanics of everything. But that full lower body, like we said, the RDLs, the, the single leg squats... Um, the good mornings, for goodness sake, we still need to be able to hold our pack and get into certain positions. We need mm-hmm. those single leg positions with it. Um, but that full like core single leg strength, base strength stuff, two legged training is not bad. We still need a brute strength. Mm-hmm. We just need the single leg control as well. Gotcha. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I find my we'll call it layman's approach, you know, to coaching has always been you kind of build a strength base with the basics. Mm-hmm. right like the the squat the deadlift you know absolutely um, and then uh whether it's concurrent or sort of added on at a you know sort of uh, in a periodized approach then you take that strength and now teach people how to use it yeah. right whether it's balanced movements uh you know and but it's not just sort of like what like you were saying that bosu ball stuff um it, it it comes into the thing like that's not how you balance in the real world no. um it it's getting everything to fire in a in a coordinated manner like uh, and you'll probably run into this like a lot of people have um shitty if you want to call it mind muscle connection with their yeah. ass
1: i love that you're talking about this yeah
0: you know where uh the number of people where it's like the the brain can't fire the glutes. And once they start to, you know, whether it's, yeah. you know, some, you know, just even warm-up drills.
1: Yeah, we did a really cool exercise where we were squatting. I think, was it 80% of our maximum weight? 10 sets of 10? What was it?
0: Uh, that was about 75, and that was horrible.
1: 75%? <laughs> it was horrible? Well, the reason why I was actually, you know, for me, I was in awe was at, at the beginning it was super hard. Yeah. yeah. Because anything over five for us in strength training is cardio. <laughs> <laughs> you're, like, you're huffing and puffing. <laughs> and you're like, fuck, I know this is only 75%, but man, you know, because that's all we do is up to five, right? <laughs> we're up to 10. Anyways, but at the end, as soon as I hit about five of them, five yeah. sets, it was getting easier and easier and easier. So that that's why, right? I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Because as you're, even some, though
0: you're getting more tired, Mm-hmm. You're getting more skilled, yeah. right? And the brain goes, "Oh shit, I got this figured out," and now the chain is firing in the right order. Yeah, um, you know, and and that's sort of where the magic comes in. Is that, that-
1: it was truly magical? Like I thought that was really fascinating. The nervous system, that's it. Like a,
2: a lot of our training is nervous system changes. Hmm. Like the, like the first few times you, you start getting stronger or better, you're, it's not like you're injecting strength into you at that point, Right. but you're getting stronger because the nervous system is firing on better. It's, it's waking up. There is a huge like stop between that brain and the muscle and when you wake it up, it's it's gold. It's it's just such a way to prevent injuries. It's just such a way to keep you stronger. And injuries happen when you start getting fatigued. Well, if if you're more efficient with every time you you stride, you ever your knees in a better position because your glutes are firing. Those are endurance muscles. Glutes are power endurance. Your quads are your explosive power, but they fatigue yeah. out. So yeah. if you're using glutes, they they'll last a whole lot longer. than each climb that you do is just a little bit better and you can sustain it longer. So you're less likely to get injured because you're always going to be in a better position.
1: I thought it was interesting when you said to me that men and women are different. Women are quad dominant. Mm -hmm. So their glutes are massively weak and that's what I need to work on. Whereas men, it's the reverse.
2: Yeah. So uh, females have wide hips. Our knees come in. We have wide hips for childbearing purposes. It's evolutionary. It's science. It's there. Um, because our hips are wide, our knees come in, just biomechanics-wise, we are set up to be kind of anterior translators when we squat. So we tend to be knee squatters. We tend to drive forward, and the EMG studies are there. We tend to fire quads first. Guys have high hips. They kind of get into that bow-legged bulldog position, and they t- they fire back body. They fire glutes and hammies first. That's more protective. When your knee is in a position, and if you look at a traditional female physique and our knees go like our our, from our hips the angle in the knees are almost in that knock knee position if you leave them there but then you you don't change the knee position you just fire on the glutes it actually moves the knees out into that bow leg position you're automatically taking the stress off the kind of inside part of the knee the part that will fail that will have tissue failure and that's where injuries happen so guys are just set up to be more injury preventative that female athletes are three to nine times more likely to injure our knees than our male Mm -hmm. counterparts just because of our basic anatomy. Plus you guys have testosterone. So you're 33% stronger. It's a basic science Mm fact. I remember in high school being like, that is bull. I do not believe they're stronger. (laughs) It's a fact they're stronger. But it's a thing that we can train our right. movement pattern. We just have to be good at it. Yeah. And then being good at our movement pattern when we're hiking. So when we're hiking and mm-hmm. we're going
1: downhill, push your knees out, drive
2: through the heels. There's just a better way to do yeah, things.
1: I was I was consciously doing that. And so proud yeah. of you. <laughs> <laughs> but it's 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 strange. Like I and I, I do feel that bold legged happening just a little bit even when I'm going down the stairs. But it's um yeah, it takes a lot of uh, on. how about well, you do you ever feel like your quads are weaker than your ass
0: uh no but you've seen my quads yeah. <laughs> it's got <nice>
1: legs. um <laughs>
0: <laughs> no but like basically uh i know how to use my ass yeah right yeah. like it fires do
1: you feel it when you hike um up down the
0: up. only uh, like w- the only thing i run into that ever burns on me when i'm hiking mm-hmm. is my calves like like it's like going uphill yeah, yeah. um everything else is just dug 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 Mm-hmm. You know like a, a uh, yeah like th-
2: but if you took a picture of your lower body and 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 like Catherine, your lower body, you see the difference in the anatomy like oh, just yeah. the basic structure. so every day you use your glutes and your hamstrings more than you do mm-hmm. and so then it, it's just set up that, that you're just using it all the time so yeah. it's just basic endurance for you. We know that guys jump run cut pivot with their butt females use their quads we just have to train the pattern you just have to work on training it and then
0: well this this is actually good news for all the ladies out there right because if if you're having a predisposition to be quad dominant Mm -hmm. yeah um and you know there there definitely is ways to like activate those glutes get them firing make them way stronger because the glute the glutes aren't just one muscle right obviously the glute maximus is sort of your your uh, you know, I'm trying to think of an analogy here. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll call it the star, you yeah. know. Um, it's the biggest muscle in the body. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you're talking, you know, piriformis, glute medius, all of these other uh, muscles in that hip structure mm-hmm. that all work to externally rotate the hip and extend the hip. Now, what you get is this, you know, you make those big and um, strong then you also look better in your yoga pants on Instagram. Because
2: <laughs> you know, <laughs> bubble butt. Yeah. It's all about the butt. You know? Yeah. And, and it,
0: but that's one of the things that, uh, and I, it's funny because I'm not coming at it from a, a, an injury prevention standpoint, mm-hmm. but in coaching, it's always come into a thing where uh, powerful hip extension mm-hmm. is better athletic performance. Every time. Right? And so even even down to the point where, you know, I developed a way to reposition people on a bicycle. So you were positioned a little further back. We bring the cleats back on the uh, pedals if you have clip-in pedals. So there's more hamstring and glute activation because mm-hmm. there's all, because pedaling a bicycle is a hip extension and a knee extension. Um... Generally, there there isn't a whole lot of movement in the ankle. You know, it's basically just a stabilizer Mm -hmm. as far as the up and down goes. Unless you are some of those weird, you know, people that drop their heels a lot. (laughs) Um, But what you'll run into then is so many people like they're sort of zipping up a hill, even guys. It's the quads that blow up. Mm -hmm. Reposition on the bike uh, so that now we're getting more glute and hamstring activation and because the glute is just coming from the hip extension and the uh, hamstrings are going to come from the fact that then when you hit the bottom of the stroke you wipe the dog poo off your shoe Uh right now you're actually like pulling back Mm -hmm. and because hamstrings and glutes when you're extending your hip kind of work together um because the hamstring works to bend the leg and it works to extend the hip you know so kind of magic um but it's funny that that just purely from a performance standpoint, like we, uh, came to this like many years ago. Um, and it would probably explain why I've never had knee issues, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, even though it wasn't specifically why I was trying to do it. Yeah. But the female athletes I coached, um, even ones doing triathlons. Mm -hmm. So they were doing a ton of running, which is terrible for you after a while. (laughs) Um, they didn't have knee issues either. Yeah. Uh, so, you know. Interesting. It's funny how you get to that stuff. So,
1: so is it logical that I would have a lot, a tight, because I haven't had this in the past, but more recently I'm noticing my paraphorus muscle and my hips and my, basically my ass is yeah. tight. Yeah. Like sitting cross-legged and leaning forward. You know, usually my knees hurt, mm-hmm. but then I discovered, I discovered this is another big thing for my knees, <laughs> flex, uh, stretching. Yeah could not believe how it stopped the throbbing in my knees that was crazy (laughs) Yay! and then but now I also I do notice that I'm um, incredibly tight in in the glute area does that make sense to you I mean there can be lots of different reasons it could be but
2: like honestly you're you're starting to use them more and you're starting to use those motor patterns more which is wonderful but then you may still When you start fatiguing, you're still going to rely back on your base motor pattern, which is going to be your basic structural anatomy. So you may still just rely on that, which gets you there the stretching part just makes me happy because as soon as you get into that full joint range of motion, you're getting proper joint nutrition and you're just making like lubricating those joints properly. And if you can get the joint surfaces in contact with each other, you're getting Mm -hmm. joint like pressure on all the Mm -hmm. joint, like on the articular, like the cartilage surfaces, which Mm -hmm. is going to help make them just more healthy and robust. So the stretching is really good, but the the hip tightening is probably more because you're using it and then just probably fatiguing out.
1: Yeah. Winston often says it's because I've been sitting all day too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, but I have in the past. I've been doing this for over 20 years, right? And I've never just, I never had so much of that hip tightening in the past. It's more recent.
0: Yeah. Well, because if you think when you sit all the time, um, your hip is in a flexed position. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So therefore, like the psoas is going to be in a shortened shortened state. Yeah. And because of the way that's a hip flexor, the way it connects, it goes through and connects to your spine. Mm-hmm. Right. If, if that is in a shortened position, now it's pulling your lower back all the time.
1: But why is it that I'm all of a sudden experiencing this now? Is it because I'm in I'm in my 40s? <laughs> is that a factor in well, this? Well,
0: that could be. Well, you know, and when you think about like the stuff we do. Yeah. Like, w-
1: that's true. That, I mean, in the past three years, I'm way more active now. Yeah pretty much are active like shit maybe four or five times a week and you yeah, plus
0: walking plus
1: and you're
2: pushing your limits to certain like every time yeah. you're talking it's you're you're challenging yourself with new and and like you're you're achieving new fitness goals so then you're getting to another point and you're getting new climbing yeah. problems and then you're able to get into a new strategy and so it could just be the muscle fatigue too
1: Gotcha. yeah
0: you know and and if you look like certain exercises like especially because you're getting better at firing the glutes yeah Mm. um you know like when we'll do deadlifts it's kind of like just as a overall then um doing sort of like the curled body back extensions so Mm -hmm. they're taking the, the the lumbar out of it yeah um yeah and Puts it really like your ass cramps when you do those, mm-hmm. right? And because we're doing with the foot in the flared position, then you're getting like the glute medius is like burning,
1: yeah, my hamstrings, yeah, you know,
0: and then the hamstring, you know, so all of that stuff we're targeting more too, yeah. Um, and it when you work something, it tightens, and so that's where all of your mobility work is to go, let's untighten this,
1: yeah. And your
2: poor knees have taken the brunt of your activity for the last 20 years, so now you're. Giving it to your hips, so the knees aren't taking the load anymore. It's the hips. And
1: well, I'll be truthful in that. So three years ago, I couldn't walk down the stairs without holding the rail. Yeah. So like I couldn't. I I didn't have the strength. So that did improve dramatically. Yeah. But even in the past year, and I had been doing a lot of backpacking with Winston and and so forth. And this year, we decided to take it easy because I was gearing up for the stem cell therapy in February. Yeah. And of course, that means that for the next. I think it was four months, five months, or six months, you're not supposed to put too much impact on it. So you uh-huh. can give it time to heal and regenerate. Um, but just before that, the year, this past year, um, geez, even months before the stem cell, this is why I decided to do it, my knees were acting up again, despite the fact that I had lost all this weight, that I was, maybe, maybe because we had started rock climbing, we weren't consistently going to the gym strength training, like, five days a week the way we were in the past. Right? Well, uh, that, that's a big change, <clears throat> right? Um, so maybe that did help quite a bit. But then I almost wondered, so that's what pushed me to try that. Good. And so that did help, mm-hmm. the stem cell. Um, the nutrition's fabulous, that yeah. that's incredible. I uh, can't even remember if we even talked about this on the air or not, but with the keto diet, it reduces your inflammation significantly. And um, yeah, that's just phenomenal. Because the food, there's a connection there. But um, uh, I just wonder, I, I, I think age is probably a part of it, <laughs> unfortunately. I but, mean,
2: we do know that our, our muscle tissue changes, right? So mm-hmm. every decade we get older, more you know, the, the white covering on steak, more of our yeah. tissue, like our, our muscle tissue, that's juicy and, ath- and elastic, then turns to kind of that connective tissue. So okay. it just takes longer to recover. So you could have done whatever you wanted in your twenties, gone out for like a multi-day expedition, feel a little sore, but just recover quicker. It just mm-hmm. takes longer to recover. Gotcha. Uh, every decade we're older, we have essentially about 10% more fibrotic mm-hmm. tissue than elastic component tissue. Mm-hmm. So sure. You know what, you, when you do go out and when you're more active, it just may take a little bit longer for the muscles to recover too. And that's okay. It's just, it's one of those things that, It's not going to change. We just have to be okay with it. You know, like dogs, you see little dogs have little like naps and they just like lay there and then they get up and they run around. And then the older dogs, when they wake up after a nap, they stretch and they do their up dogs and down dogs. (laughs) That's when you, that's
1: where you get the, Yeah, that's what I do in the morning. I get out of bed. I'm like, Ooh, that's stiff. But
2: no one one teaches them to do it. They just know they need to mobilize and stretch first and little dogs don't need to. And it's just as we get older, that's just what we have to do. That's what happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I find,
0: like, in the morning when I get out of bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you
1: have a whole routine. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, it's it's basically just kind of a movement flow. Good. And you go from, like, oh, fuck, what happened to me, like, while well, I slept, to, Oh, ah, I'm kind of bouncy. I'm feeling <laughs> good. You know? How long does it take you? Um, It's, like, five, ten minutes.
1: Good for you. That's impressive. You know?
0: But it's it's the same thing. Like, you see me when we get out of the car. Like, we, we went climbing today. Um, and
1: <laughs> yeah, we look like old people. Yeah. So,
0: so we, we, we were out rock climbing for eight hours and you know, there's hiking and you know, there's Staining. the climbing and you know, you put your on your feet for eight hours straight. We're out in the heat, you know, probably getting a little dehydrated, Sufferned, you know, yeah. yeah, all those types of things. <laughs> and it was fine. Like we walk back to the car, you know, wait for the death oven, you know, to, to cool itself down before we get in the car. Right we go i don't know what did we drive maybe 10 minutes before we hit a store so we could get a drink yeah i got out of the car and like my feet were killing me my like my back <laughs> it's like oh shit oh like i'm walking along like a like like little baby steps like a little old man i know and after but after about uh, you know 10 or 15 steps it was like oh okay i feel it but is. it was like just getting out of the car like the bottom you know the the plantar region of my feet yeah. yeah you know it wasn't like i've had plantar fasciitis it wasn't that Yeah, it was more the oh jesus but i wore climbing shoes for almost eight hours right
1: <laughs> yeah as you get older you need to uh, move more yeah yeah it's almost like if you don't you're not feeling well
2: well exactly oh, exactly and no one ever said you forever will be pain free for the rest of your life like no one gave us that card there's never a rule that says it's going to be a thing you just got to know how to manage it so we know that the muscle tissue changes so you know we got to move a little bit and it makes sense that when your feet are cramped up in those little like too small climbing shoes because that's how you climb that they should have less Blood flow than regular, and now the tissue is different. So if you were twenty versus if you're forty, you're gonna have less blood flow to those muscles. So it takes a little bit more time to reperfuse, and that just be okay with it. Yeah, you know. And as long as we know how to do it, we can still do everything that we and we should keep doing everything we should. I remember when I was on placement as a student, and I saw a little old man bend down in a deep squat, like butt to floor squat and tie his shoes. He is 95 years old. Wow! I looked at him and he just looked at me and it was just in his like Asian culture. And he's like, this is just how we bend down to do everything. He's 95 years old. And that was one of my first indications that just keep using it mm-hmm. because when we stop using it, yeah. we're not going to be able to go butt to floor squat to tie our shoes when we're 95 years mm-hmm. old, if we stop doing it, mm-hmm. you know?
1: Yeah. I think that's a really good message because like I said, my uh, surgeon was telling me not to hike not to strength train not the only things that I could be doing is cycling and swimming which I like cycling but to me it was boring at the time right I didn't want to just do that so um yeah I think that's a very strong public service announcement is you you don't use it you lose it you don't use
2: it you lose it and you need to stress the body because the body's incredible
1: it adapts
2: and it it takes stress and as long as we don't Reach tissue tolerance, you stress it a little bit, let it recover. You stress it a little bit more, let it recover. And as long as you do it progressively, the body is resilient and it is adaptable and it will take on all the loads. You just got to be smart about it. If your knees are red hot, swollen all the time, and Mm -hmm. you're just going to pound through like multiple, multiple day hikes and you don't listen to it, yes, it's going to fight back and Mm -hmm, win. mm -hmm. But if you do it smartly the way you did it, that's that's the most evidence-informed way of managing it. The evidence supports weight management, strength training. Honestly, that's the biggest thing. Those are our biggest two tools for osteoarthritis management is strength training and weight loss. Think about your, ex- your packs. When you're talking about a multi-day pack and you're mm-hmm. talking about a difference of six pounds making such a big difference over that much time, Yeah. if you can lose 10 pounds think about how much difference 10 pounds in a pack makes over days. Now you're doing that every single day. So taking that off your body every single day on those knees and then loading it even more with proper movement mechanics. It's huge.
1: What else are you big fan of?
2: Strength training wise or just movement wise? I mean, just an overall
1: health and performance. What else do you think is important that backpackers rock climbers should be looking at?
2: It's, it's extremely multimodal is kind of my biggest deal. And what, I'm learning more and more. The more I I go into things, when I finished school, I thought I knew everything and I thought I could just, you know, save the world with all of my knowledge that I learned in my two and a half years at, you know, after, because it's a, you know, four year undergrad and then two and a half years master's and you're just, you know so much, you know nothing. And the more I've learned is the more I don't know anything about your sports, right? So I feel like the more I learn, the more I ask more questions. And, to understand how sleep is so beneficial and nutrition is so mm-hmm, beneficial mm-hmm. and strength training is so beneficial. I can't tell you how to climb better. I am not well versed in climbing mechanics, but I sure as heck can tell you how to strengthen it and how to move more efficiently. Mm-hmm. So I've learned that if you teach me the skill set of what you need to climb, I can teach you how to be stronger and what muscles you need to develop or what movement mechanics you need to develop. And I think breaking down the movement mechanics is one of my biggest things I've learned over the last few years is asking the how and the why. So you know your sport, I know how to move, let's work together mm-hmm. and figure out how to make that the biggest team approach and if you don't n- understand the mechanics of it me checking my ego and talking to the coaches or talking to other professionals on how to get you moving better is mm-hmm. one of my biggest things I've learned and one of my biggest proponents i need to understand your your world in order to help make it better and then also understanding, like we were talking about before, there are ways to train for things that will make it part of your world. So instead of saying, you need to do your exercises every single day mm-hmm. um, and take 45 minutes out of your mm-hmm. day. I don't have 45 minutes in my day every day to sometimes to do exercises. So trying to work with everybody to try and interject it into your world to make it make sense. So people who want to train for, like we were talking about the Ironman, but only have six hours a week. For people to figure out how to do that, how can you work with people so it makes it work in the world um and trying to kind of just make it work in their head makes i i don't know it's just kind of making lifestyle um fitness a lifestyle not just a thing that kind of is an add-on to the rest of your life that's
1: a good point because i was looking at what you gave me in the exercises even for the first time that we met Mm -hmm. with the band Mm -hmm. and between that plus what we do and then the rock climbing and the kids and it's like, how do I fit it all in, right? Because I don't do any of my core at home. I only go to <laughs> go to the yeah. gym. Yeah. Where, where is it? yeah. and,
0: and, and it's funny because we, we have these discussions because like
1: <laughs>
0: I think things in the gym um, are things that, you know, like as far as us training together, there's no point in doing the things in the gym together that I can just do by myself at home, right? Okay. Um, so most of my core work mm-hmm. I do on my own. Yeah. Right? Um, I might be listening to a podcast, whether, you know, and, and it's such a simple thing, um, you know, because we'll, we'll do like things that require equipment, you know, things like the Paloff press or something yeah, like so that. Yeah, so we do
1: that all at the gym.
0: Yeah. But then yeah. I, I don't need the gym for side planks. Right. I don't need the gym for, you know, like Russian front planks or around the worlds or, you know, various sort of, yeah. you know, core stabilization exercises. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, I don't need it I need for to
1: find a new gym partner that will help me with that. Stuff.
0: <laughs> I don't need it for you know, but it, but it's the same I'm kind of thing. You, I
1: have no motivation to do that at home. The only thing I do at home is hiking with a weighted vest in the morning. Okay.
0: Well, and but that's slowly becoming a habit, and then once that's a habit, then you start developing a new habit. Yeah. Right. Um, because like the ab thing, like I just train. You know, one day it's leg raises and side planks. Then the next day, uh, you know, it's dead bugs and uh, like front planks, and I do that six days a week. Awesome, right? And and it, and it takes ten minutes.
2: Yeah, bullshit.
0: <laughs> Listen, I, I I might I when might you,
1: when you say it over, I never see you do that. <laughs> either, well, or when we go camping. Or. No, well.
0: But basically, it, 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 because it, it it's breaking my routine. Okay. Right, because it, it's the same thing with my morning flow to get moving. Yeah, mm. uh, you know, I'll do a few squats here, whatever. But it's it's like when I when I'm getting out of my own bed, there's like just a and then I do this and then I do this and then you know it's like it's yeah, a habit.
2: It's a habit. Gotcha.
0: You know, so. And it's
2: my favorite because you're making it consistent, yeah. right? So. How do you know when, like how many times you're supposed to work out till you're fit? Or how many times do you have to eat a healthy meal before you're qualified as healthy? There's no... There's no standard that says you eat 15 healthy meals and now you're, you're qualified as healthy. It's just keep eating healthy, right? How many times is good enough to brush your teeth? I don't know. You just keep doing it. You know, it's, yeah. it's just the consistency. How do you know that you're, you're strong on the, the wall on when you're climbing? When are you an expert climber? I don't know. It just kind of happened just because, because I just kept being consistent with it. Mm-hmm. My tendons started accommodating. My motor patterns started accommodating. It's the consistency mm-hmm. with it and just making sure that it happens every single day. Mm-hmm. Then you start to become fit. Then you start to become healthy. And you just kind of, you don't reach a plateau. You just keep getting better, but it, it's just smaller incremental changes. And it's sometimes that's one of the biggest barriers is you don't see as big of fitness changes. But, you know, if you stop doing it, you'll lose it really yeah. quickly, right? Yeah. So.
0: Well, now, what, do you, what do you think of this idea? Because like one of the things that I've... Uh, Kind of stress to people, like, because it, it, there's one thing about training elite level athletes, right? Mm-hmm. You've got to dot every i, cross every t. You know, get magic potions. You know, and I'm not talking steroids, but, but you know, mm-hmm. the, but the whole the whole concept is that because they're so close to their genetic potential, yeah, then to get any more improvement, you have to do everything exactly right, mm-hmm. right? But for most people, we're not elite athletes, right? Um, and I've always stressed sort of just two principles to pay attention to. Consistency, which you talked about, and progressive overload. If you just, you know, try to do a little bit more next week than you did this week, mm-hmm. and you're consistent enough to, to yeah. have a repeat stimulus, if that's all you do, like as far as fancy programming, you'll go really far.
2: You'll go really far and you just, just best yourself just a little bit and best yourself in all aspects, right? Best yourself in your water intake, and in your sleep, making sure you're getting- How many hours of sp- sleep? Um, so my world has changed since learning the sleep science, like Matthew Walker, Why We Sleep, that book, and it's just- honestly revolutionized my life so i used to be that like oh i can get by on like four and a half or five hours of sleep and i'm so great Uh, it's brutal and there's so much bad things with it so i'm very Mm -hmm. hard on myself with trying to at least get my seven and a half hours but i really try and do my
1: eight Mm -hmm. i hear you i actually sleep with the night mask now and that makes a world of difference it really does yeah
2: it really has changed my world and everything's better everything is better mm-hmm. when you get that sleep you're more productive you're more alert you're more, more awake your life is better you know your performance is better
1: so we were talking about ben greenfield earlier and he was talking about heart rate variability mm-hmm. so stress you mm-hmm. know whether it be the electrodes or electrical currents but even just in terms of your current lifestyle and whether it be emotional or situational or whatever getting rid of that reptilian brain but actually having something measuring that have you ever looked into that
2: um, by virtue of like heart blood testing, or no heart more rates. heart rate
1: variability. And do you have any thoughts about um, opinions on that?
2: One of my biggest things is I know stress is like stress is an evil poison and toxin, and and it can just wreak havoc on so many different systems physiologically, whether it be the musculoskeletal system or, you know, your your cardiovascular system or what have you there's certain things that you can change and there's certain things you can't. Um, stress is something that you can't always change in your life. You can't change life events. You can't change what has happened, but you can change all the other things around. Knowing that stress is such a negative, um, contributor to even healing processes. So you Mm -hmm. talk about inflammation and wreaking havoc in your joints, trying to mitigate that. Well, if there's, with stress, there's the stress hormone flooding through your body, the, the cortisol. We know that if I do a pressure pain threshold, so I press on something on you and you register that, that pressure that I'm pushing as a two on 10 pain, if I can press with the same amount of pressure, but they have have now underlying cortisol flooding through your system, so the stress hormone, mm-hmm. you will register it as a six on 10 pain. There's a, essentially a threefold increase in, in your pain response. You can't change that. Um, but you can know about it. So knowing that sleep helps decrease that, nutrition can help decrease Mm. that, exercise can help mitigate that. You can't change stress. You know that life happens, but you know that you also have all the tools to recognize, hey, this is a really crappy time in my life right now i'm gonna make time to go out Take and care of get to the gym i'm gonna make time to make sure i yeah. eat well i'm gonna make time you know what i know i should probably do my laundry and get my kitchen cleaned but if i can get eight hours of sleep tonight my world is going to be better my knees might be less sore tomorrow mm-hmm. and i know it has something to do with the fact that x y and z are happening in my life right now well and i guess
0: uh, the difference between sort of like acute stress, like obviously if say somebody dies, you're going to, it's going to be overwhelming versus that low grade, just mm-hmm. modern anxiety bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what do, what do you think about like the, the ways that people can sort of turn down the noise essentially? Mm-hmm. Um Because
1: take a walk in the forest. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Um But, but that idea, because I think like the, when something bad, like when somebody punches you in the face, yeah, you know it, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. But when somebody is like drip by drip poisoning you with arsenic, you don't notice it. You have no idea, right? Yeah, and and I think it's it's almost more insidious mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, like a lot of the data, um, because you know, when you're a, um, not getting, you know, a it ties to sleep and food and all these things but when your uh insulin variability mm-hmm. is like all over the place mm-hmm. um you have more inflammation you know r- increased risk of all sorts of things from like weight gain to totally. cancer to yeah. you know yeah. um so with uh, the idea of like how do we Get people to downregulate a lot of the like the little like that that undertone of stress versus the big life events that you can't do anything about. Yeah,
2: yeah. Sometimes it's it's needing to take a step back and doing a full lifestyle assessment. Like, what are my daily habits? What are things that I'm doing well? That mindfulness, the meditation, that might not be your thing, but there is so much um, science behind taking whether you can meditate for 5 minutes or 8 minutes or 10 minutes, all the little apps that there are available, and how the breathing exercises can help. So there's there's um, two different nervous system systems in your body, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic, the parasympathetic mm-hmm. calms your system. Mm-hmm. Well, breathing helps stimulate that, which l- then will help down regulate any of those underlying like, okay, I'm always feeling anxious. I'm always feeling my mind doesn't stop spinning. When I try and lay down, I can't go to sleep because I'm mm-hmm. thinking of all of these things that mm-hmm. I need to do tomorrow or the next day. Sometimes basic breathing exercises is enough to do that with it. Um, but sometimes it's it's needing to step back and writing out, you know, this is what I'm going to do for myself and this is how I'm going to affect my sleep or this is how, this is what I'm going to do for myself and writing it out because we know writing it out actually makes our goals happen. Hmm. Sometimes just saying it and, and spinning it in your head, there's no action plans happening. But if you can sit down with a piece of paper and start your short term, medium term and long term goals. It happens, and then when you get to stroke it out, like, yeah, I I did that. I got to the gym four times this week, or I did my exercise program at home three times a week. That made a huge difference. That satisfaction then starts releasing that dopamine into your Mm. system, which then helps like the nervous system is cool. Cause then that starts calming everything else down with it. And it's just a huge cascade effect. Yeah. But if we have this underlying chronic gross stress in your body, you're not going to sleep well. We know a decrease in sleep starts making you one, increase your hunger hormone and then decrease the hormone that makes you feel satiated, makes you feel full. So now you start eating more and then, eating bad things because now you're going to tend to go towards the carbohydrates instead of the like energy dense foods and you're making poor choices when you're sleep deprived and yeah. like there's just a whole physiological cascade of things that stress under sleep, you know not doing things for your body then you're more fatigued so you're not going to do the things for yourself yeah you kind of have to have this holistic approach of step back what's my action plan what are my main goals and what are the little steps in order for me to get there? Cause little things make the biggest difference. Don't say, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to do this 96 K track over two days and it's yeah. going to be incredible. Yeah. Like what, what am I going to do today? That's going to make me better tomorrow. What mm-hmm. am I, what can I do tomorrow? that's going to be better in two days. You know, like what are the, the little steps to get me to my big steps and kind of breaking it down. And that's what I was talking about even with physio is, well, What are the the little things in your sport that I need you to do so you can do your big sport? So if you need to be on the wall for X amount, why can't you be on the wall? So what are the movement components of you being on the wall that are missing? Okay, so then it's those movement mechanics that I have to figure out the Mm -hmm. function or the structure that's not functioning. And those are the kind of things that we just apply to everyday life. Mm -hmm. What's my big goal? What are the little things that are going to get me there? And then what are the little things every single day that I can do to make those medium things happen that are going to make me get to my big goal? Mm-hmm. It's kind of stepping back and kind of going a backwards approach. Yeah.
1: I, I can't say enough about, um, at least for me, the keto diet, what it's yeah. done and I'm, and maybe other diets can do the same, but I've been on Weight Watchers before and that's mm-hmm. a well, different approach too. But that, that that's more about calorie intake and its points and um, but this is really revol- revolutionary for me because it's Good. about carbs and sugar, Good right? And I've completely reduced it down to maybe 20, 25 grams a day and being well-rested when I wake up in the morning to uh, no cravings, zero, zero. And I used to be that closet eater. Yeah. You fantastic. I, I mean, yeah. everybody's
2: different, right? So
1: everybody's gut biome is different and yes.
2: how, how their physiology. So maybe the keto has just matched your fitness style. I can't
1: see myself going back. right? Like uh, even in terms – we talked about the production of inflammation, but um, the hormone, they say that it adjusts your hormones. Like the idea of less anxiousness, like feeling – I feel more zen. That's so cool. Yeah. I think that's – and going back to yeah. – which then you, you start to look at your life at what else can you do, mm-hmm. you know, to take better care of yourself. And some people go on keto and feel awful. Like it's just do not they? for yeah. them. And so yeah.
2: for you, you've matched something. But that's one of the biggest take-homes is maybe not keto, keto might be perfect for your body type, right. might not be perfect for mine. I might feel super fatigued and lethargic. Cool. I've tried it. It's not for me. I'm going to try something else. But you found something that works. Yeah. And that's one of the biggest things it's n- there's no recipe card
1: so we also did um my dna awesome. testing I, i've done that and i think when we uploaded the results to another website yeah it talked about um things that were noteworthy which mm-hmm. included over and over again it talked about i'm not sure what kind of uh, tail short tails it's the reco- telomeres telomeres which is basically the gene that recover you know that reproduces so the idea of uh, regeneration of your mm-hmm. cells right and they talked about a diet that's high in fat mm-hmm. high in protein basically low in carbs and sugar so basically the keto diet seems seemed to align with that pressure. well and i wonder
0: one of the things and you know maybe you can speak to this because like i wonder how much Catherine's benefit she's seeing is the ketogenic diet specifically mm-hmm. or it's the fact that any diet that has you get rid of sugar mm-hmm. um you know, wheat products. Yeah. Uh, it's not specifically the fact that there's no carbs. You know, she's running pretty close to no carbs. But yeah. it's that it to get there, then you have to get rid of all the shit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you it's, know, mm-hmm. it, it'd be an interesting experiment, like, if they were to compare, like, a keto diet... To a diet where there's still, you might have some fruit or, you that's know. That's true,
1: you bring the fruits back in. You
0: know, some type of carbohydrate, mm-hmm. but no processed food.
1: The processed food is just evil. I've, I've done that in the past, though, on the Weight Watchers, because I was too lazy to count points. So I only counted the whole, like, unless it was processed. If it was processed, I had to count it. So I, I actually, I can't say I hardly did that, because I had my cereal in the morning, right? And mm-hmm. that's processed. But yeah. that was it. I did not have bread or rice or potatoes with my meals like for dinner and my lunch was always left over. So the only processed food I had in the morning was it were in the mornings, which was my cereal. But
0: then what about all of your um, eating that you didn't report?
1: Um, No, at that time I lost weight. I wasn't eating sweets. Like I was really, Mm. yeah. But I didn't notice the feelings that I notice now, like the way I feel now is completely different mind you my arthritis right osteoarthritis mm-hmm. is way worse now than it was yeah. back then right yeah and so our, our bodies changed. that was about around. 10 years difference yeah. so I yeah mean,
2: like nutrition is so it's so important and it's so key and I I am not even close to an expert and like dietitians know so much more but what I do know is that when people are good to themselves and they're eating well their recovery is so much better. So mm. if I have someone who's ready to go for surgery, one of my biggest chats is if you if we don't have a good healthy diet going on, you are going to a dietitian because the only way to maximize our rehab potential is we are what we eat. Mm. So you put in good things into your body, your body's going to use that to repair the cells and the tissue. Um, when you go out on a major hike and you are like, you have essentially destroyed all the circle, like the, the muscle fibers and we need to repair them. So you're good for the next day. You better be putting good things into your body so that the body has absolutely perfect, you know, opportunity to get as good as it can. And if we're putting, you know, sugar and processed foods, high sugary
1: drinks, then there's no way to recover the way we can. Let's talk about that. Okay. So backpacking. Yeah. Cause what people love about backpacking is all the chocolate and candy. <laughs> <laughs> and i and i hey i've been up that hill trudging mm-hmm. up it and i was eating a protein bar and yeah. it did absolutely nothing for me and then, but when she
0: starts eating skittles it's like oh i feel great <laughs> and then you're
1: like taking off so let's talk about that because i then wondered i did yeah. go backpacking on the keto diet and yeah. it was fine yeah um but i wasn't doing any high and in sports i was with my kids so yeah you are sweating buckets yeah. you're carton around that backpack going up that hill doing 2000 feet a day yeah how what kind of food is going to help you recover and can you avoid and does that mean not having the sugar so you want
2: um when you're in the when you're in the high intense um Mm -hmm. event the the you know energy snacks or whatever it is at that point shoot some people will even take like potatoes with them and and eat potatoes you n- you need the quick energy if you okay. if you're bonking right so yeah. if you're if you're losing your energy and you just feel yourself flatlining you need to get something so into you quick that so the body that? will use right away so that's your sugars that's so your, that your that's candy. your you know your bee stingers that's your like gels if you need them because it's it's just so quickly absorbed and so quickly used
1: but you you prefer those over candy
2: I I love the bee stingers those are my favorites gels I cannot deal with but the the bee stingers I love okay um and I'll use those every time um there's a funny story that I was like doing some river crossing right before we went over this one um well essentially before we got to the Chilkoot Pass and I was just grumpy and I was like I got stuck on it ch- and my best friend turned around and she shoved some bee stingers in my mouth cause I started crying and she's like, eat these. And it was like instant perfect. I got to the finish and I got to where we were snacking, but over the long haul, the high dense, high fat food is going to give you energy for longer. Okay. It's just not as readily available. Gotcha. So if you're feeling, if you can keep it in your system and eat heavy, high dense, high fat foods, mm-hmm. It's going to give you longer sustainable energy. It's if you have to go up a peak or if you have to be explosive gotcha. that you might need the extra boost from the like simple ky- carbohydrate stuff.
1: So what I discovered was canned cod. Okay. Tuna pate. Okay. Like all that had, you know, mm-hmm. good amounts of fat. Yeah. you uh, I just started eating pork rinds. That's what I brought out tonight. Yeah. And, uh, they're pretty good. They're like chips, but it's all yeah. pure pork fat that's been fried. Perfect. Well, yeah. Cause it's um, like half
0: fat, half protein.
1: Pretty much. Yeah. So are those some good sources? Like, do you think that makes sense? Like, well, it's an oil and you're drinking the oil and
2: absolutely because it'll just stay in your system longer. So it, take yeah. it takes your body longer to process. It's actually good, by the way. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it's, it's better for you. Plus that's super portable. So when mm. you are on mm-hmm. day long, you know, multi-day yeah. trips, yeah. that's easy to take with you. Mm.
0: Well, and the, the thing you will run into when you're, when you're, uh, On a higher fat diet and you become fat adapted,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: basically um, aerobic activity. So as long as you don't redline, so you're completely gassed or you're doing anything super explosive or powerful, um, because that uses glycogen. Mm -hmm. And obviously, if if you're not getting much carbohydrate in, then there's going to be a certain amount of glycogen made. Um, by your body breaking amino acids down and turning it into mm-hmm. you know glucose, um, but otherwise because your insulin levels are always going to be down um, then uh, what 's the what 's the opposite hormone of insulin i 'm having a brain fart there's insulin, which is a you know moderates your blood sugar yeah. right. And then there's the fat burning hormone. And if insulin's up, that one's down. It's funny how, like, you know, most of the time that's always just in my head. But yeah, either way, um, kids, Google it at home. Um, <laughs> but, it, but it's the thing where, where if you've had a bunch of carbohydrate in your system, your insulin level's going to go up. Mm-hmm. And you can't burn fat when your insulin's up. Yeah. So as long as you don't spike your insulin and you're not trying to, like, kick in the turbocharger. Yeah. To sprint to the top of that mountain, you know, but it's like long and steady, your body can burn fat like crazy.
2: Well, And it's going to, like once you're, now that you're on this keto diet, it's Mm -hmm. going to use your fat stores and like you're in ketosis, so you're using your ketone bodies as energy stores. You're using that now, your body knows how to process that. Before, if you were just, you know, primarily carbohydrates or a higher carb diet, your body uses that first. So that's what it knows during high performance. Well, now you're training Mm -hmm. high performance on a high fat diet. Mm -hmm. It's going to figure out how to use that energy source more efficiently and effectively so you don't want to go to a high carb diet when you're hiking if you've been training with the like high fat diet you don't want to change energy sources especially in something like that you want it to be used to whatever energy source you've been giving it gotcha so it'll do better for you just to keep with the high fat when you're out there now because that's what your body's used to
0: and once Mm -hmm. once the colder weather gets around all you can do is like take a popsicle stick stick it on a stick of butter (laughs) um, it is a beautiful um,
1: peanut butter peanut butter is why i just like i love that i made um they're called fat bonds they're basically brownies or fudge Mm. half of it's bacon fat it sounds i have them in the fridge if you want to try i would love to try yeah it's a bit salty yeah Yeah, it's
0: like you know there's a do you put a little bit of stevia in it with the cocoa powder
1: uh it's not stevia it's swerve but it's i think it's which is like xylitol yeah right you know, but, um, yeah, there's quite a bit of that. There's like three tablespoons, but anyway, I did a double batch and it's all in the fridge. Yeah. Sounds delicious. Yeah. Actually, sometimes your dinner on the keto diet is to have one serving of that and that is it. <laughs> it's really weird, <laughs> but you know what? Often you're not hungry. That's so good. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, that's the diet bit. So Allison, uh, is there anything else that you want to tell the listeners? Like what, what do you, you know, as far as the messaging goes about what you do and, what you want them to walk away with
2: one of my biggest things is that we just don't stop moving um, there's always something that we can modify there's always something we can change and there's always ways to get to the goals the goals are if we have goals, we just have to break them down. And so if you're stuck with knowing how to get there, just, you know, trying to break down the movement patterns. And if you're stuck with that, seeking any healthcare provider or professional that'll Mm -hmm. help you get there, but trying to break it down, there's always something we can do. Movement is key in making movement part of our lifestyle. It's worth it. It's worth it. Our, our life is sedentary right now. Um, We're in a world where everything is more accessible and it's more convenient. And that's not changing, which means we have to be better at being more active and finding ways to manufacture opportunities to find movement in our day and to putting it into our day because it can be really easy to drive to work and sit for eight hours a day, then come home and use all of the remotes so we don't even have to get up to turn the lights down or turn like the radio Mm -hmm. on or any of it. Um, And so to find ways to manufacture opportunities and just because you're in pain, movement is actually going to help us get out of pain and to Mm -hmm. keep us active and to keep us moving. So you can do things for life. We just got to figure out how to do it.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great message because, like I said, I went to my surgeon. He said to stop, you know, and and I hear so many people say that they've got injury, so they stop. If you stop,
0: you die. You know what, I've seen it. The lions are going to catch up with you. I've seen it with my
1: mom. And and she was even actually um, going through, she almost died. And she was in the hospital in intensive care unit for about a month. And she was bedridden. And then she had so much physiotherapy. She actually came out in better shape than she did even going in before she had her health issues. So that tells me, and I keep reminding her when she's not walking as much anymore and she loses her mobility, that she can get it back
2: and we don't need to to be fancy. Keep it basic, keep yeah. it simple. It yeah. doesn't they don't do fancy physio in the hospital, but they do necessary and what they need. And yeah. she got it out there cuz she moved. That's yeah. cool.
0: So now if if people have listened and went, "Oh, okay. Uh, how do they get in touch with you, you know, or where like if they want to get like actually professional help?" Where am I at? Yeah. So you know.
2: I'm at Grand River Sports Medicine Center uh, at the Cambridge location and at the downtown Kitchener location. So 16 Andrew Street in Kitchener mm-hmm. or 40 George Street in Cambridge. Um, I'm also on social media. Uh, the uh, AC Garette is my Instagram. Alison Gidet is Facebook. We'll um, put them in the show notes too. And yeah. Twitter is Ali Gaudet eleven. eleven, um, and all three mediums are really easy to get a hold of me
0: at. So now they're, uh, the social media thing. Um, mm-hmm. So you've got the three of them. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I got off. I guess I'm technically still on Twitter because I didn't cancel my account, but I don't mm-hmm. go on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, it, it's almost like like on the on the positivity scale, Instagram's number one. Because I don't know what it is. Like, I I don't really see people shit-talking and trolling on Instagram. Um, Facebook is sort of, you know, quite a ways down. And then Twitter's like a pile of turds that have been lit on fire. Mm. (laughs) Is is that your same sort of experience with the, the mediums?
2: So Twitter is my way. There's a lot of more academic um, reasons I go on there. A lot of um, papers are on there or actually a lot of like not necessarily good banter, but there is some banter that happens. Twitter is very negative. You're mm-hmm. right. And there there's ways now it's also very short form and harsh, yeah. right? So you're limited with the characters. Mm-hmm. So I can fluff things up and say things to you really nicely or I can be more direct and via texting that can just sound harsh and evil. So some people get defensive just because it's a short form. Um, but absolutely Twitter is Twitter is bananas with how, um, evil it can get and how, how back and forth. Sometimes it's, entertaining Mm -hmm. to just sit back and read the comments (laughs) on there. Uh, But there is actually a lot of um, decent information coming out or at least stuff that we can critically appraise and take a look at and be like, is that garbage? Is that that not garbage? Instagram is stimulating your limbic system, right? So a picture is worth a thousand words. You don't really need a lot of words in order to say whatever the picture says, Mm -hmm. You can also put filters on it and make it look prettier. So it makes it look Mm -hmm. better than what it is. And Facebook is kind of that in-between where people will rant and rant and rant or say their big, long message um, and put some pictures. So it's, it's kind of a blend of all three. And I enjoy kind of the whole mix of each of them. But you're right. Twitter can be evil and awful. But it's got some... A lot of good papers or conference information, different Mm -hmm. things professionally for me come out there, and I like all the sports highlights on there too.
1: What are some good hashtags that you recommend people follow if they're interested in this topic? Um,
2: So just injury prevention, knee injuries, um, even just like the keep moving, be active. um, As much as it's still a trendy, just overused functional fitness word, there are some actually really good exercises out there some people go over the top like i said you need a base strength Mm -hmm. to stand on two feet you can't put someone on a bosu ball that can't even stand on one foot on Mm -hmm. on base ground but there are some good exercises out there even just functional fitness moving um and then the sport like if you if you just search climbing just search hiking sometimes you'll get some really neat exercises just because of those okay it's good this has been wonderful
0: so yeah, so Allison, thank you very much for coming over.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: And we're gonna call it a call it a night because it hard is late.
1: Dirty.
0: Yeah, she she Never remembered. <laughs> <laughs> she remembered. It can't get any better. Catherine stuck my number three cam and in, in oh! a crack. Oh, so shame, shame yes. Uh, so her first time. Shame on you yeah. for
1: making me uh, for thinking that you could teach somebody on the ground and say, go do it. Go stick it in there. Yeah, well, you know,
0: okay. the, so so a blue number three is at Kelso. <laughs> uh, if you want it, go get it, because I can't. Um,
1: <laughs> just use it as, a, it's, as an it, anchor. Yeah,
0: it's just a fixed anchor now. Um, <laughs> but she redeemed herself by remembering our, our tagline. So there go. on that, we'll bid you all a good night.
1: Night.